If you have your Bible, I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to start reading with verse 9. It says, Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given you your master's grandson everything that belonged, or I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to form, or farm the land for him. I can't talk this morning. Are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and just ask you to have your way. Let our heart be set to know you, God, and to seek after you. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd watch this, this is the, our topic this morning. Today, we're going to talk about presence over presence. How many of you like a present? Amen. Y'all like presence. How many of you ever got a present you didn't like? I know you're not about to raise your hand because you're going to get, let the cat out of the bag. Let me just share this with you. We were in Trinidad on a trip, and I had been invited with a team to our bus driver's house for a meal. Now, you have to understand that when someone invites you over for a meal, that's, that's a great honor. They're, they, they're sacrificing for you, and you want to go. The problem is a lot of times we're not used to the same type of food that they are. And so we went over there, and, you know, I had managed— you know, to eat things that were on the table, but there was one item on the table that I had intentionally stayed away from, and it was called cascaloo. Cascaloo is about four or five inches long, and it looks like a catfish with scales. If you ever have seen those algae eaters in your aquarium, that's what was on the table. And they were prepared whole. They, they, they weren't gutted. The head was intact. The, the tail was intact. And so I'm complimenting our host and saying, please let your wife know how wonderful this meal was. We appreciate it so much. And he said, did you like the cascaloo? Uh, well, you know, I'm not sure that I tried that oh oh you must try you must try so my friend Nick Simmons is at the end of the table laughing his head off at me he's <laughs> I said Nick did you get any of this he quit laughing immediately man it was amazing how that uh, I was just trying to share the joy folks and that smile left his face immediately and it was, you know, and I, it was, look, it was a gift from them, and it was a gift that kept giving because I experienced it all day long. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's just, anyway, let me show you a picture of some presents. Wonderful, isn't it? Can you spot anything missing? Nobody's there. And so presence with no one there really means nothing, right? Let me share with you Mephibosheth's story. Mephibosheth, we're going to come back to that picture in a minute, but Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. Jonathan is the son to King Saul. 
Jonathan was also David's best friend and confidant. When Saul was trying to kill David, Jonathan was the one that was making sure that David was safe. He warned David, and he had been there for David. They swore a covenant together that they would always be there for one another. And Jonathan assured David, I know that God is going to give you the kingdom, and when he does, I'll rule beside you. I'll be there for you. He is not trying to... You, do you understand the kingdom was supposed to pass to Jonathan? But Jonathan understood that it's not about stuff, it's about God's presence. And he recognized that God's presence was on David to rule that kingdom even above his father. And so Saul, or, or Jonathan makes that covenant with him and David swears an allegiance that as long as he rules that he'll be kind to Jonathan's household. Well, time ticks by and Philistines attack Israel. Saul and Jonathan march out to battle, and they are both killed in that battle. Jonathan has a little five-year-old son. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was like any other little boy. He laughed. He played. He, he was a king's kid, man. He, he had the best of everything. And, and all of a sudden, on this day, they, his nurse snatched him up and took off running trying to flee the palace because anytime an enemy killed a king and they made a raid on the palace, they were going to try and kill all the king's sons and grandsons, anyone connected to the king. As they're running and they're trying to flee the palace, all of a sudden they, he, she, she stumbles and she falls. And, and when she falls, she, she, she ends up dropping him. Have any of you ever been dropped before? You know what I'm talking about? Just hurts, doesn't it? All of a sudden, someone drops you. But let me ask another question. Have you ever dropped someone? You see, not intentionally. Her, it, it wasn't intentional. I remember several years ago, we had a niece, and her name was Kristen. And Kristen was, what, three years old maybe or two years old? And Debbie had her in her arms and it was winter time and we have pavers on our porches and Debbie didn't realize it but those pavers had iced over and so she's stepping out on the porch and we've got three steps that go down to the ground and the ground being the last step and all of a sudden D Debbie stepped and man she flipped up in the air backwards and she's got that little girl in her hands and she's trying to protect her and she comes down and when she comes down she comes down on her elbow and she's in the yard man she sprawled out in the yard she flew completely off the porch she's in the yard hit that elbow and she's oh about that time my daughter heard her moaning and Bethany come running out on the porch and went mom airborne Landed right on top of Debbie. And, and she goes, Debbie goes, oh, and Bethany, well, well I'm hurting too. <laughs> it's important to remember that nobody wins in that situation. When, when someone is dropped and, and, and that person's hurt and the person that dropped them's hurt. And so sometimes it's difficult to recover from that. Mephibosheth was dropped, and when he fell, he fell hard. We have sometimes in our life, whether it was emotionally or whether it was physically, and we felt dropped, and it was hard to get back up. Mephibosheth's case, his feet are broken. According to the way that Scripture describes him, apparently what happened is a foot broke, and the bone came out of the skin. Because for the rest of his life, he would have to wrap his feet like it's an open wound. He had to fear for infection. He had, he had all this to fear. He's only five years old. That day, he lost not only his father and his grandfather, he lost his mobility. He lost his ability to move. He ends up in a place called Lodabar, which is another message entirely. And that word means no word. See, when you get dropped, if you're not careful, you'll isolate yourself and end up in a place where there's no communication, where all of a sudden now you're not talking to anybody, you've shut down, you're not communicating, and everything around you has just become a silent, solemn world. 
It's that's the place he's at years later when David's king. David sets his king over the throne, and keep in mind he would rule in Hebron for seven years before he would rule over all of Israel. When he becomes king over all of Israel, he begins to seek out, and he makes this statement, and I think this is powerful. David makes a statement. He said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I could show the Lord's kindness to? If David shows any kindness to the house of Saul at all, it's got to be the Lord's kindness. Saul had hunted him like a dog, but when David came to the throne, David did not hold bitterness. I want you to hear me today. You're never going to sit in a place in the kingdom if you allow bitterness to rule and reign in your heart. Boy, it got quiet. Let me say that one more time. Turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, you can be better or you can be bitter, but you can't be both. You, you, you let bitterness dominate your world and you will remain crippled the rest of your life. It'll cripple you emotionally. You'll never be able to get a relationship with God the way that God wants for you. You'll carry that with you like a weight around your ankle, like a... a, 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 a a chain around your neck pulling you down. David, let it go. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, let it go. Come on, let's do it. Let it go. Let it go. Is that let it snow? Okay. So, so he, 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 he lets it go, and, and he's asking for that. And Ziba comes up, and Ziba is a, ma- or a servant to Saul. Ziba shows up and look, you've got to understand that there were more descendants of Saul, but Ziba intentionally chooses one by the name of Mephibosheth. He said, there is a son of Jonathan, his name is Mephibosheth, and he's in Lodabar, and so David sends for him. When David sends for Mephibosheth, they have to carry him into the presence of the king. What do you think is going through Mephibosheth's mind? Come on, it it helps to put your feet in someone's shoes every once in a while to understand what they're feeling. What do you think is going through his mind? I'm a dead duck. It's over for me. My grandfather hunted this man his entire life. I knew it was only a matter of time until he started hunting us. You see, sometimes we, how can I say this? Sometimes we view people and expect them to be the way that we have been or others have been to us in our life. So if you've been dropped once, you don't tend to let anybody hold you again. Because you don't trust anymore. You're thinking, no, you, I've, I've been down that road. Ain't nobody. I, so we isolate ourselves. We build a wall around ourselves. Nobody's going to get the opportunity to drop me again. But he's in the presence of a king, and David looks at him, and, and, and Mephibosheth is thinking, man, my life's over. And he said, Mephibosheth, from this day forward, you're going to sit at my table like one of my sons, he suddenly experienced what it was like to be in the presence of a king. And that king moved him to a position that he could not find on his own. As a matter of fact, I preached another message years ago called sitting at the king's table in If I had a table out here and I had everyone sitting down at it, behind that table, you couldn't tell that anything was wrong with him. When Mephibosheth was seated behind that table, he looked just like every one of the other king's sons. You need to hear what I'm going to say. God doesn't highlight what's wrong with you. He covers it. He covers it. That's what he does. That's why the grace of God is such an amazing and powerful thing. And so he looks at Ziba, and this is what he says to Ziba. He he tells Ziba, he says, well, let me just, I don't want to read all that. Let me just tell you what he tells Ziba. He says, Ziba, he said, from now on, from this day forward, I'm giving all the property that belonged to Saul to Mephibosheth. 
and you're going to take care of it for them. You and your 15 sons and your 20 servants. You're going to plant the garden. You're going to harvest the garden. You're going to make sure that all the weeds are cut. You're going to make sure the grass is trimmed. You're going to plant the flowers, and you're going to take care of everything. Yes, sir. That's what he said. He said, yes, my Lord King, what what you've commanded, I'll do. doesn't mean he's happy about it, but he's going to do it. See, God gave me the ability to thank for something. And he gave us all that, right? So I just begin to ponder. I wonder what's going through Ziba's mind. The other question I had was, who was taking care of Saul's property before this? Who did it belong to? Maybe it's set dormant. I don't know. Maybe Ziba had acquired the property and was taking care of things for he and his sons. I don't know. What I do know is that in one instance, the king gave Mephibosheth, a man that had nothing, everything. A man that could not do for himself now is being taken care of. And he's having Ziba do it. Will you entertain me for a moment I in my mind I'm thinking I wonder if Ziba is going wow really (laughs) he was sitting over there on his can not able to get up and do anything and I'm the one that told him uh, that told David about him how come I'm not getting anything I can't believe that David's making me do all this stuff I I I just you know you'd have thought he would have done something for me you ever been there yeah say, Pastor Rick, you can't prove that. You're you're right, I can't. But I, I can show you something that happens that leads me to believe that this transpired. Years go by, and David's the king, and Mephibosheth has been sitting at the king's table eating for years now. King has another son at that table. His name is Absalom. Absalom gets put out with his father. And all of a sudden, Absalom plans and plots a rebellion, and David has to flee for his life from his own son. As David is fleeing, all of a sudden, Ziba shows up, and he's got all these animals loaded with food, and he he shows up, and and when he comes in, the king looked, and he said, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba said, when he found out what was going on, he made a statement and said, well, finally, I'm going to get the kingdom back that belongs to me. And so he refused to come. Time rocks on. You know what happens. Absalom ends up up dead. David has the kingdom restored to him. And all that time David's been gone. And in hiding, he comes riding back in. And guess who came to meet him? Mephibosheth. As soon as Mephibosheth finds out that king is coming back, he managed to ride out to meet him. And the Bible said since the day that David left, Mephibosheth had not kept himself. He had not trimmed his beard. He had not wrapped his feet. He appears to be someone that's in mourning. And when he rides out to meet David, David looks at him and he says, How come you didn't go with me? And Mephibosheth responds, and he says, my lord, the king. He said, I asked Ziba to saddle a donkey for me. He said, I can't move, I'm crippled. He said, I asked him to saddle a donkey, but instead he took off and he left me here. And I know that he's told you that I refuse to come, but sir, I could not get to where you're at. And when David hears that, all of a sudden David looks at him and he said, because he had given all of the land to Ziba. When Ziba showed up to ride out with David, David said, the land belongs to you. When Mephibosheth shows up to greet him back in, the king looked at him and he said, all right, he said, I've heard enough. He said, you guys split the land. Now listen to what Mephibosheth said. Mephibosheth said, David, or Lord King, let him have all the land. I don't care. I just want your presence. It's enough for me that you're here. What's he saying? It was never about your stuff for me. It was never about my grandfather's land and all that he owned. It was always 
always about the fact that you allowed someone like me uh, to sit at your table, uh, to dine in the presence of a king. Oh, somebody hear what I'm saying today. It's not about presence. It's not about gifts. It's not about everything that God has to give us. It's about the fact that he allowed us to enter into his presence, to sit at his table, to call on his name, to be able to say, I'm free. I'm blood-bought. I've been born again. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. It's not about the presence. It's about his presence. All too often, it's about presence, isn't it? I've watched people in my lifetime chase after gifts of the Spirit and forget about the one that gave them. I've watched folks get taken up with his stuff and forget about the one that gave it. And it never ends well. Story told of a seven-year-old girl. It's my story, so I'm going to tell it the way I want to. Story told of a seven-year-old girl. Had a daddy, and he was up the corporate ladder, and consequently he was never really home. But he never forgot her. I mean, he, he remembered to send her gifts. He, he said, oh, throw those presents back up, would you? He would always send gifts. And then one year after Christmas, it was January, and his daughter came to him and took him by the face and held his, and looked at him and said, Daddy. She said, I, I want you to do something for me. He said, what is it? She said, next year, the only thing I want for Christmas is you. He said, okay, honey, okay. Time passed by, and he got busy again. Her birthday came, and he wasn't there, but he sent the gifts. An empty house, but full of presents. Easter came, and she got a big Easter basket with a bunny. And she kept saying, Christmas is coming. Christmas, he's mine. All of a sudden, 4th of July rolled around. And don't ask me why you send a 7-year-old girl a, gift, a, a basket full of fireworks. He did. He wasn't there to help shoot him off, but he made sure she had some. And rocked on. He, she got all kinds of candy at Halloween, just not him. She kept holding out for Christmas. Christmas Eve came, and her father wasn't there. Christmas morning, doorbell rang. She jumped up out of bed, went running down the stairs. She said, I know Daddy's here. Daddy's here. He promised me. He promised me. She opened up the door, and there was a delivery man with a big box. And she turned and walked away. Her mama said, look what Daddy sent you, honey. Look what Daddy sent. And tears just started streaming down her eyes. She said, come on, honey, come on, come on, let's unwrap what daddy sent you. He said, mom, I told him, I don't want gifts. I want him. She said, well, let's at least look and see what he sent. And they started to unwrap the box, and they tore the paper, and when they cut the tape off the box, and they opened the box up, daddy popped up out of the box. He'd sent himself. I've got another father that did that. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave. The Bible says that Jesus is the express image of an invisible God. It is his essence. It is who he is. And so he sent him here to this earth. And there were those that relished his presence, that wanted to stay where he was while Martha was busy in the kitchen. Mary was at his feet uh, trying to soak it up. I, I'll help you in a minute, Mar Martha. I, I just, I don't know how long I'm going to have him here. And I, I just don't want to take his presence for granted. And there were others that just wanted his stuff. The others that just liked his gifts. A crowd of people. He'd been teaching to and 
all of a sudden, his disciples start telling him, you need to get rid of these folks. We don't have anything to feed them. And he said, well, you feed them. I said, man, we don't have anything to feed them with. He said, well, look around. What do you got? Five loaves and two fish. That's enough. Bring it here. What? He blessed it, and when he blessed it, he fed 5,000 men, not counting their wives and children. So you've got to figure there's at least, there's at least 15,000 people in that multitude. Okay, okay, I'll go conservative. 10,000. Five loaves, two fish. They all eat. He prays for it. They all eat. And these people are noticing what's going on. How do you know that? Because at the end, look, he ends up collecting. At the end, when supper is over, when lunch is done, they end up collecting more at the end than they started with at the beginning. Those people watch them collect 12 baskets full of fish and bread, and all of a sudden, they start looking and saying, this is a miracle, man. This guy's that prophet that was supposed to come. And the Bible said that they were going to take him by force and make him a king. That's almost laughable, isn't it? Jesus just slid out of their presence. Why? For him to allow them to make him a king is a step down, not a step up. That's like painting gold or putting, trying to put lacquer on a ruby. You can't make it any better than it already is. He didn't need them to make him a king. He was already a king. Uh, king of kings and Lord of lords. He took off that night. and I'm not going to go into the details of the storm that came up and his disciples feared for their life. And he came walking on the water and he saved them. We won't talk about that. They get to the other side to Capernaum, and when they get across the lake and they're at Capernaum, all of a sudden, all those people that had eaten go over there, and they they knew he didn't get on the boat, and they can't figure out how he got there. And they're saying, how'd you get over here? And he said, you didn't follow me because of the miracles. You followed me because your belly's full. You followed me because of the stuff. He said, don't, don't labor for meat that perishes, that goes. You, you, you need to labor for that that's eternal. And they, they, this is, listen to this conversation that goes on between them. John 6, 26. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? That's why I'm not God. They just, they had just been ready to make him a king. They had just said he's that prophet. They had just talked about his miracles. And now they say, well, you need to do a miraculous sign. What can you do? Well, I fed you yesterday. Yeah, but that was yesterday. Like the story of the politician that was giving a speech out in public. And the farmer came up, his bibs, and he's heckling the guy. Man, I mean, just giving him fits. And finally, the guy can't take it anymore. And the man looked at him. He said, George, he said, what is your problem? Why, why are you acting this way? He said, when, when you needed that property, who made sure you were able to get it? He said, when your son was going to have to go to war, who made sure he got a pass? He said, when, uh, when, when you, you needed a loan, who made sure you got the loan? Who went to the bank and made sure you got the loan? He said, I, why are you acting like this? And he said, well, because you ain't done nothing for me lately. Wow. That's the difference between presence with a T and presence. You see, if you're just looking for his stuff, you're going to find yourself in a pitiful position. But if you spend your life searching for him, you won't be disappointed. You remember a man in script. Matter of fact, they they never tell his name. It's just a kid that wants his dad's stuff. 
He said, right, give, me, give me the stuff that's coming. I want your stuff. I, I want some presents. Give me, give me. How many of you, well, I'm not going to ask how many. Have you ever seen a child that didn't appreciate what they were given? Do you know that when we traveled for years, our, our grandchildren got something every time we came home? Do you know why? It's because every time we brought them something, they were, oh, Papa, oh, Nana, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That boy's getting some more. But if I'd have showed up and given him something and said, I didn't want that, he wouldn't have to worry about getting anything else. Our attitude determines our altitude. Let me say it to you this way. The way we approach God is going to determine how high we go with God. It's got to be about we want him and not his stuff. So all of a sudden, the boy takes everything. He takes off with everything. He's got his dad's stuff. And he comes to a conclusion that stuff without him just doesn't work. How many of you recognize that? See, God could give you gifts. You could have the gift. As a matter of fact, the scripture said, you could have the gift of knowledge and you could understand all mysteries and you, you could have all these revelations and be able to say to a mountain to be removed and cast your sin and all these things should obey you. He said, but if you don't love, if you don't, God is love. And if you don't know God, it profits you nothing. You've got to have him. Somebody shout, I want you, Jesus. Guy gets out there, and then all of a sudden, the boy comes back. They start throwing a party. Somebody gets upset. Who is it? The, the, the brother that stayed home. Listen to what transpires here. He makes a statement. He said, this is Luke 15, 31. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. Oh, you didn't get that. See, that's just, that's exactly how sometimes we act or we feel. We go to church, we, we, go, we, we go through all that, but we don't understand his presence. We're just going through the motion. And he's saying, you need to understand that when you hang out with me, everything I have is yours. That boy wasn't even enjoying his journey. Oh, somebody help me today. I'm not going to come to church and sit down and look like I've been eating raw persimmons all day long. I'm going to jump up and shout, yes, I know he loves me. I know he cares about me. I may not understand what I'm going through, but I know who's going to get me through. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me, and he promised he never will. I'm not worried about his stuff. I just want him. I want to know that when I raise my hands, he's there, that when I call his name, he answers. Presence over presence. He said, son, you've been hanging out at my house all this time looking like you've been sucking on lemons. How many of you ever met somebody supposed to be living for God and look like they lost their best friend? The Bible said that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Look, when I was a boy, you, you know, you need, you need to come to know him for yourself, not through somebody else. When I was a boy, we'd come down here. I lived up by Chicago. We'd come down here to visit my grandparents. Has anybody ever heard of a place called Grantsburg? That's where my grandfather and grandmother McNeely lived. And my grandpa loved God. I know he did. It's just he really didn't know how to show me that. What are you talking about? Because, he, look, Grandpa get up, man, 4 o'clock every morning. He, you remember those old radios? You know, he tuned that radio in, and all of a sudden, I kid you not, I'd be laying on the couch. It was a hide bed and I'd be laying there with a bar that hit me right in the middle of the back. And then I'd be laying there, and all of a sudden, Grandpa would turn on the old-time gospel hour. And I heard, 
sounded like creature features, folks. I kid you not, man, they cranked up that organ music and, and grandpa would be in there and, and he was enjoying it, but man, he scared the bejeebies out of me. I, I didn't know what was going on. But when I came to know him for me, not through somebody else, not through someone else, but for me, can I tell you, they asked me, they said, Rick, what's it feel like? I said, I feel like Tony the Tiger. I think he's great. <laughs> Everybody in the place started going apart. And I thought, man, I don't know what you, you know. And then nobody get excited. I thought, what's wrong with these folks in there? Man, I'd be all over. The Somebody said, well, it'll wear off. <laughs> That's been over 50 years ago, and it ain't wore off yet, folks. <laughs> as long as I stay in his presence... It never will. Would you stand with me today? Let me ask you a question. What's more important to you? That the one you love send you a gift on Christmas or that they're there? Christmas. Santa Claus, Rudolph, Frosty. They're all byproducts, folks. I hate to break the news to you, but that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about love. For God so loved you. Oh, wait a minute, wait, wait, they said God so loved the world. No, no, he, are you from Mars? And even if you are, that's still part of our world. Let me say it to you this way. God so loved you that he gave the first Christmas gift we ever received. This was such a unique gift that angels came to announce it. <laughs> I had never had angels come to announce what was under the tree. <laughs> this one was wrapped in lying in a manger. Now think about this. The first Christmas gift. Matter of fact, there is no Christmas without Christ. All you have is a mass, a mass of confusion, a mass of unbelief. But when you let Jesus be the Lord of your heart, he comes in. That day, wise men came, laying down their stuff just to be in his presence. That's still what he's asking us to do. Come and lay down your stuff. Well, I'm not talking about your gold and your frankincense and your myrrh. I'm talking about your mess. <laughs> Come and lay down your mess, your stop, so you can enter into his presence. And when you do, you'll be forever changed. So get ready to sing this song. I want to ask you today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I want him more than I want his stuff. I wonder if you would just take a step out and come down front. If you can't make it all the way down, at least raise your hand signifying that I want him. Right, right now, just quickly, I, I want him. I, I'm thankful for all of his gifts. I used to pray, God, I thank you for your gifts. God, I, I want you to use me in your gifts. I said, but God... The most important thing is please let your word come alive inside of me so I could make it come alive to others. Why would you pray that? Because the scripture said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word 
was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I came to an understanding that the only way I was really going to get into His presence was to get into His Word. I had to understand who He was. I had to know more about Him. And I'll be honest with you, man, the first time I felt Him apprehend my heart, I didn't know a lot about this. But after He touched me, I've been digging and digging and digging because I want more of Him. Somebody say it with me. I want more. I want more. Kat was sharing about her daughter or her daughter, her, her, her niece. She was on a video call with Imogen and, and she said that, that her sister got ready to hang up and said, okay, say goodbye. And she said, no. I said, what? what? And she said, more. More. I said, what do you mean more? And, she's, and she taught her how to sign and she's going, more. And, and then it dawned on them that what she was saying is, I don't want to hang up. I want to keep hanging out with you. I don't want to break the connection. I want to get closer. Can anybody in here today go more, <laughs> more, God? I just want some more. I want more of you. I'm not trying to hold you up. I'm not trying to get everything you, I'm not trying to get your stuff. I just want you. And if that's your prayer, you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now, all across this house. Open your heart and say, I want your presence, God. I want you. Because this is what I've discovered, that when you come, everything comes with you. When you show up, everything shows up with you. Can I, can I show you what I mean? If you're in here and you need healing today, would you come and stand real quick, just right in this area, real, real, very quickly, very quickly. See, several years ago, I was in a revival and I was staying with a friend of mine and, and, I, and he's usually up and, and around and I started, I thought, man, where's Tim at? And, and, and then all of a sudden I, I discovered that Tim was in bed, which was unheard of. And he called to him, he said, Rick, he said, can you come in? I, I walked into his bedroom, I said, man, what's wrong? Cause he's, he's never in bed, he's always up. And he said, Rick, he said, man, he said, I'm so sick. He said, my head feels like it's busting. He said, I can barely move. He said, would you pray for me? And I remember saying a simple prayer. And the only thing I prayed was God, I'm, I'm just asking you to come into this room with us right now. Would you just step into this room? Because when you come in, everything you have comes with you. Man, he scared me to death. He screamed real loud, jumped up out of that bed. God had instantly healed him. All I'm asking you to do is raise your hands today and say, God, just let your presence come and touch my life. Because when you come, everything you have, everything you have comes with you. Everything you have comes with you.
Like I had a hard time trying to figure out. touches you and nothing happens is almost laughable when God touches you something is going to happen you may cry you may tremble you may fall we're not here seeking the manifestation we're here seeking him and however he shows up we say welcome Jesus welcome Lord Jesus so why don't you just stretch your, stretch your hands to heaven. Say, Pastor, I don't want you touching me. I, it isn't about my touch. It's about his. Just stretch your hands to heaven with me. And say, Lord, fill me up with your presence. You know, I, I, I'm going to share this and I'm going to let you go. Halloween, we used to go trick-or-treating. There was no such thing as trunk or treat when I was a kid. We went trick-or-treating, and there were some houses that you avoided. You know what I'm talking about? It was just like they never gave good candy. It was that peanut butter kisses that you always end up eating half the paper, you know, because you can't get it off. It's just, you know. But there were a few places that I made sure to go by, and I didn't go alone. <laughs> I went with the grandson. See, the grandson was my best friend. So we would go to his grandpa's house, and then we would go to his great-grandma's house. And they knew me because I knew him. And I'd stand there, and we'd say, trick or treat. Greg would take his mask off. And I took mine off, and they saw it. He would go, he would go like this. His name was Stanley, and Stanley would reach in, and he'd get a handful of candy. I mean, just a handful of candy, and take it and dump it in my bag. Well, my goodness, if you got that, what did Greg get? He went and got bags of candy and put them in Greg's bag. I mean, he just, he just gave him bags of candy. We'd go on down to his great-grandma we called her Bushka and when we go down to her house and, and man here it come again and I discovered something it's not about who I am it's about who I'm hanging out with oh somebody hear what I'm saying when you get in his presence when you get in the presence of Jesus let me tell you when he takes you before his father you're going to get your bag filled hallelujah hallelujah 
I know this is supposed to be Sunday morning, but I feel like I'm in a revival. So we love you. God loves you. And as in the words of my infamous wife, have a great rest of your day. <laughs> let, let me pray for you right now. Father, I just ask your blessing over this congregation. Let us forever hang out in your presence. We thank you for all your gifts, but that's not what we're here after. We're here after you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming into our lives and our hearts. May our heart always be driven into your presence. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you.